Welcome. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Good morning. I need to make a public service announcement before I start the message. We have found out that all the bread and milk in Caldwell County is gone. So you don't need to rush after the service to try and run to the grocery store or anything. Uh, however, it depends on your mindset. I, uh, someone mentioned that to me a minute ago, and, uh, and I said, I don't know why people do that. And, and, uh, and, and she said, we do chips and chocolate, so maybe you can find, still find chips and chocolate. Uh, at the grocery store after the service is over with. Uh, second announcement before we jump in the message is this. Uh, don't know if, if y'all are kind of like me, but after you eat a good breakfast like that, you may come down and get sleepy. Uh, Steve Hall was talking about that. You know, maybe let me know in advance uh, to ask my forgiveness if he goes to sleep uh, during the message because he just haven't had a breakfast uh, upstairs. Uh, so the other announcement is this. We have told our security team it's okay to taste people this morning <laughs> if, we, if we find them dozing off. Uh, at, uh, at, at any point. Uh, so with, with that, let's get into the uh, message. Uh, we're doing a series we started last week called Relationships. Uh, more or less, we're talking about four things that could kind of be like ships into your relations. And we started out last week talking about uh, how we uh, need relationships. There's a need for relationships. All of us have a, a need for it, but not that wasn't exactly the focus last week. We were talking about a specific need of relationships, and we need to build relationships with people so we can share with them the gospel and so we can pour our lives in, into them and invest our lives uh, into them. So that's kind of what we're, we're talking about uh, last week. Uh, you would think probably with the, uh, with the love boat theme and, and all, we'd be talking a lot about romance. We're not necessarily doing that, although next week we are uh, somewhat. We're going to talk about intimacy next, next week. Uh, some of the guys are thinking, oh, we should have done that this week, probably because today's Valentine's Day, but we will do that uh, next week and, uh, and everything. So kind of the same warning that I gave you last Sunday, uh, if you bring small kids in here to worship, may be good to be sure they're in children's ministry uh, next Sunday. Uh, what we're talking about in, in the series, like I said, I've already mentioned to you two of the topics, uh, but we dealt with one last week. We're dealing with uh, this one today. It takes uh, more than two. And then we'll talk about intimacy uh, next week. And then we're going to talk about in the uh, the last week, we're going to talk about uh, a, uh, a forgiveness that uh, ought to be based in God's purpose. In other words, sometimes God lets us go through tough things uh, intentionally to have his purposes uh, to come about. So uh, that's the topics that we are, are dealing with uh, in the series. But today we're going to talk about uh, it takes more than two. And it's going to be in Colossians chapter 3, uh, verse 12 through 21, if you'd like to follow along in your Bibles uh, as you're finding your place there. Uh, a few years ago, matter of fact, several years ago now, uh, but a guy by the name of Bill Withers uh, wrote a popular song, uh, Just the Two of Us. If you remember that being on the charts, you're as old as I am probably. Uh, if you happen to remember that. And uh, that song had a lot of romantic themes in it uh, when he was talking about just the two of us. Uh, and while I understand the intent of the song uh, from a romantic standpoint, saying just the two of us doesn't really give us a full picture of marriage. And that's what I mean by the message today, the title of it, it takes more than two popular phrase is it, it takes two or it takes at least two. I understand that sentiment also, but from a biblical standpoint, when you look at marriage, it, it takes more than just two. 
I, I want to throw something out. I was going to say it at the end, but for some reason I just kind of feel the need to say it now. I uh, want to be sure you understand as we go through this message today, uh, there is not any part of the message meant to be condemning at all uh, whatsoever. It's meant to be hopefully supportive and instructive. I, I recognize we have uh, many people that have been through failed marriages and things like that, so I don't want you to, to, to take any kind of negative response from it. Uh, so uh, hopefully you'll just pray for me as I preach, because if you've been through a failed marriage or a difficult marriage, uh, you probably know better than anyone else it really takes more than two. Uh, for the marriage to work, and you'll understand what I, I mean by that in uh, in just a moment. Uh, the the picture of it takes more than two is in the scriptures that we're going to look at today. God is kind of like a master designer, a master artist, painted a portrait of a, a successful marriage, and in that portrait. Uh, he puts a picture of a wife, and he puts a picture of a husband, but he also puts a picture of himself uh, within this picture of marriage that we're going to look at. So to start with, uh, we're going to look at a submissive wife, a submissive wife uh, in chapter 3, verse 18. Now, even before I read that, I recognize full well that we live in a culture today uh, that it is politically incorrect or conventional wisdom of the day is, you know, that you're not supposed to talk about wives supposed to be submissive. Uh, that's just not politically correct. Well, n- number one, I'm not running for political office, okay? And I'm more concerned about telling you what the Bible says and what conventional wisdom says. I'm, I'm more concerned telling you what the scriptures have to say, uh, and we ought to be more concerned about the Bible and what Christ's wisdom is than we are conventional wisdom uh, at all. So uh, uh, that, that being said, uh, there's a lot of scriptures that, that actually tell us things like this. Why submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord? Now, when you look at those words, uh, while it's not communicated in our English translations, when you look at it in the original Greek manuscript, there's a definite article in front of wife. So it literally says the wives. Uh, and, and I think probably the reason for that is this. It is specifying the Christian wife. Because just a wife that is not a Christian doesn't have the focus or the ability or even understand maybe why submissiveness ought to be part of, of a wife's relationship. Uh, someone that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, that's a non-Christian, the, the mistake we make many times as a church that I think has hurt uh, us spreading the gospel is that we expect lost people to act like they're not lost. <laughs> you know, we, we expect people that don't know Christ as their Savior to operate the same way that the Bible says they ought to operate, but that's an impossibility. So that's what I think is taking place by the word say here when it says the, the wives. It's talking about uh, Christian wives because non-Christian wives aren't equipped to understand or practice submissiveness. Now let's understand clearly what the word submissive means because a lot of people just give that a negative connotation also. The word submissive means to subordinate, to obey, to, uh, to be under obedience. The root word though means this, and this is the focus I want you to grab from it, to arrange in an orderly manner under or beneath. The, the word submit itself was a military term. And if you've been around here very long, you've heard me talk about this many times before. In a, in a military, in an army, uh, you've got different roles and function. But each one in the army is just as important to God. God loves all of them. Amen? It's not like it's a, a saying you're of less value as he looks at the woman and he says, well, I want to be submissive. A private is submissive to a sergeant all the way up to a general, and, and so to speak, because there's an order and function for the army to be able to carry out what it needs to carry out. 
Now, you'll have to ask Jesus one day why he designed the family like he did. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. And for some reason, God chose for the man to be the head of the household. And it talks about for the woman to be submissive. Now, before any of you men say amen and go home and sit on your armchair and think you're the head of the household barking out orders, you'll understand in a moment being the head of the household involves a whole lot more than just you thinking you're boss. Okay? But it says, why submit? Put yourself under in an orderly fashion. Your husbands, your, your own husbands is the, the way that is phrased. It also says the man. There's a definite article in front of husbands in the Greek. So the submissiveness that's being talked about here in the scriptures is talking about a Christian wife being submissive to her husband. It's not talking about a woman in general having to be submissive to men. That's not what is being said here. The way it's, it's being communicated that the women are just supposed to be submissive to men, like they're some type of second-class citizen. You know, somehow that flies in the Middle East in places, and I, I, I can't understand the mentality of our culture today because some of the people in Hollywood that are like pro some of the things that are happening in the Middle East are, you know, also really pro rights and everything like that. And man, they don't have any rights over there. That just doesn't make sense to me. So anyway, it, it talks about being submissive. Not in generally to every man, but to your own husband. And then it says this phrase, as is fitting. In other words, in the manner of that would be fitting in the Lord, in a fixed position to God's authority is what's being said there. So a, a Christian wife is not even obligated to be submissive to her husband if being submissive to her husband violates the will of God. If it violates clearly God's will. I, a, a woman, I don't think God expects to be submissive to an abusive husband and put up with being abused all the time. I don't think God is saying that a, that a woman is supposed to be submissive uh, to her husband's legal acti- illegal activities and just go along with whatever he may be doing that's against the law. What it's saying is you're supposed to be submissive in a way that's fit into God. You're supposed to look at God's will, God's purposes, and the submission that you practice towards your husband, ladies, is to be ultimately based upon what God's will is. So a, a couple of principles you might glean from that would, uh, would be this. In, in other words, uh, a Christian wife, uh, need to, she, she needs to understand that her submissiveness toward her husband doesn't mean that she just goes along with everything and anything that might be coming down the pike if it ignores the will of God. It ignores clearly what God has said in his word. And guys, you need to understand that when you start thinking about being submissive. You could say biblical submission for a Christian wife is like an exercise in four different ways. It's an exercise, first of all, of choice. It's an exercise of choice. To be submissive is a choice. So the lady is told that she needs to make this choice in recognition of God's sovereignty over her life. That's where the ultimate power is, God's sovereignty. She's to make a choice to be submissive. It doesn't say it's to be forced upon her, guys. It doesn't say that you're supposed to compel her or, or you know, force her in some abusive way to be submissive. No, it's a choice that a Christian wife needs to make that she's making out of her clear conscience to God. That's what the choice is about. So uh, submissive wise is an exercise of, of choice. Even though in the Greek language that word submissive was in imperative form, the woman needs to be 
looking at it like this. She's, the imperative for means that she's to recognize God's imperative and she's to voluntarily yield to the husband's leadership, not because he says so, but because God says so. Do you see the different perspective in that? So it's a choice. But it's a means of wise, it's also an exercise of faith because it says, as is fitting to the Lord, as I said a moment ago. In Ephesians 5, 22, Paul adds that the wife should be submissive to her husband or as, as to the Lord. In other words, she is to be trusted in Christ's care and sovereignty over her life. Being submissive, a submissive Christian wife is saying that she's recognizing what God says. She's recognizing his authority and his will, and she's trusting God to make this work out as she's submissive. Something else that it does, and ladies, here's a mind game you can play with yourselves, because I guarantee you, no matter how good your husband is, there are days that you don't want to submit. Amen? Now, see, the lady said, amen, your guys will be afraid to say it later. Valentine's Day, you don't want to mess things up, do you? Here's the tip. If you'll ultimately understand that you're being submissive to Christ... Instead of just submissive to your husband, it gives you an avenue to look beyond him, through him, above him in the days that he's kind of acting in a way that makes you less than submissive, (laughs) to where you're a little bit upset with him. You can still find a pathway to submissiveness if you look beyond him and look to Jesus. And if you will say, I'm ultimately being submissive to Jesus. And that allows you to kind of play a mind game with yourself to where you can find a way to be submissive, even in days you don't want to be. Your flesh is saying, I don't like this, I don't like him today, but you can still find a way to be submissive if you look beyond him and understand that you're doing it as to the Lord. That submissiveness is to be under the lordship of Christ, is what I'm trying to tell you. And it ought to include his will, and savage abuse is not his will. Amen, guys? Not only is it an exercise of choice, and it's also an exercise of faith, but thirdly, it's an exercise of influence, according to what Peter says. Peter wrote these words. He said, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. What he's saying is this, if you have a lost husband and you're in that married relationship, you'll be more effective winning him to Jesus by living a correct lifestyle than you will griping at him all the time or preaching at him all the time, complaining all the time. Because your submissiveness can influence his life and impact his life for Jesus more than it can be if you just try and nag him into that position. Everybody, you're afraid to shake your head now, aren't you? Being a submissive wife is an exercise of choice, an exercise of faith, is an exercise of influence, but Peter also tells us it's an exercise of beauty. It's an exercise of beauty. Because in that same chapter, he keeps writing, and he says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the wearing of gold, or the putting on of clothing. Let me stop just for a minute, real quick, and, and run a little bit of a side message that just happened to hit my mind. Because I have heard, you know, guys preach this in a real legalistic way. See, you shouldn't do this. You should fix yourself up. Don't wear makeup. Don't wear any jewelry, anything like that. He also said, with the putting on of apparel, okay? I'm just saying. He's not telling a woman not to fix herself up, not to fix her hair, not to wear any jewelry or anything like that. If so, he just told him not to ever wear clothes. You understand what I'm saying? So that's not what he's communicating here. Instead, he goes on, he said, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart 
with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Notice this, ladies, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hope in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands. God views that submissiveness as a beautiful thing. He thinks it's a very attractive thing for you to put on and have that type of attitude in a relationship with your husband. And why it doesn't say it here, I guarantee you the husband thinks it's a beautiful thing too. It's an attractive thing. And still there being some type of argument all the time and harsh debate uh, taking place all the time. So it takes more than two. If you're going to try and have a successful biblical marriage, it takes more than two. First of all, it takes a submissive wife. Secondly, Paul tells us this in Colossians. It takes a loving husband. Emphasis on the loving. Not just a husband, not a domineering husband, not a mean-spirited husband, but it takes a loving husband. There's a balance in this. All the stuff I just talked about, submissiveness for the wife, is a little bit easier for her to digest if she knows that you love her without reservation. He writes these words. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now, that last part about children I'll deal with right kind of at the end of this thought. But there's two things, two primary things, guys, as husbands, he, he tells us there. He tells us as loving husbands, we ought to love our wives. You ought to love your wife with a God type of love. He said, husbands, love your wives. And the word that he uses there is that agape, God type of love. It's a chosen love. It's love in a social or moral sense. He's not using the eros word that talks about a sexual type of love. He's using a word that is used to describe the same type of love that God has toward us. It, the root word means to breathe after, to love in that way. God himself literally breathed after us. So much so he sent his son into this world to die on the cross for our sins. You see, God's love is a chosen love. God did not love Lynn Parsons one day because Lynn Parsons deserved it. God doesn't love you because you deserve it, because you were so good and you were so attractive that God said, oh, I can't help but love them. No, in spite of who we are, God chose to love us. And that's the same type of word that's used here when husbands are told to, to love their wives in this way. We're to understand that God loved the church. God loved you and I sacrificially by putting his son on a cross. And you and I as husbands, guys, we're to love our wives sacrificially. And if they know we love them sacrificially, all that submissive stuff comes into balance. In Ephesians, Paul also said this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, a moment ago, as I talked about the submissiveness of the wife, a lot of the women might be thinking, man, that's a tall order. Well, it might seem like that to you, but can I tell you something? It's not near as tall an order as what God just gave to the husband. He just told me that I'm supposed to love Becky like Christ loved the church. Man, if you want a tall order, you're supposed to love your wife like Christ loved the church. He died for the church. He suffered for the church. He shed his blood for the church. Sacrificially, we're called upon to love our wives like that. 
And sometimes it's easy to go the macho route and because I know the way, you know, men's minds work about things like, oh, well, yeah, I, I would die for my wife, someone breaking our house or whatever. I would give my life defending her. Well, that's great. You may not ever have to do that, but you might have to show her you sacrificially love her by putting herself, her interest before your interest. By putting what she wants before what you want. By, by focusing on her in such a way that it is undeniable to her that you love her sacrificially. You see, you look at it in these terms. How in the world can I look at the cross and see what Jesus went through and come away with the idea that, well, I don't know if God loves me or not. Huh? It's undeniable when I look at the cross that I know God loves me, that Jesus loves me. In a similar way, it should be undeniable to our wives that we love them sacrificially. To where they can look at our sacrificial love. It gives them the, the, the launching pad, more or less, for, for their submission. We're to love them with God's type of love. Once again, it's a love you choose. Not because she deserves it. You didn't deserve God's love. It's a love that you choose, that you give toward them. It's a love that's based upon your actions and your character. You see, when God said, I love you to us, God is not loving us, like I said earlier, because we're lovable. God is making a promise to us, a commitment to us. God is putting his own character at stake when God says, I love you. And he showed how much he loved us through Jesus. In a similar way, men, when we tell our wives we love them, that's not based upon their performance. It's not based upon their looks. It's not based upon how they're acting in the moment. We love them simply because we have chosen to love them. In other words, if it's a God type of love, if you're practicing a God type of love, it's not a love that you just choose to fall in and out of whenever you want to. Because that's not the kind of love that God gave us. Thank God. Amen. Or he just decides one day, well, I don't think I love you today. I'm out later. I think someone else looks more attractive today. Now, it's a permanent love that God gave us, and that's the type of love that, that God expects us to practice toward our wives, where they can clearly understand that we love them. So you need to love your wife with a God type of love, but you also need to love your wife with a merciful love, with a merciful love. Because he also said, after he said, husband, love your wives, do not be harsh with them. The word and that we read over really quickly in the English has a, in the Greek has kind of a cooperative or, or cumulative force. In other words, there's something for you to do other than just love your wife. You need to also be sure that you're not being harsh with them. Don't embitter them is what the word means. The root word gives the idea of piercing with a sharp, pungent language, acrid language, bitter language. The root word, what I thought was interesting, means to fix a pig as in nailing down a tent or setting up a tent. Don't be bitter with them, toward them, pertaining to them, by the side of them, in front of them. Instead of having harsh, short, sharp words for your wife, we need to have mercy toward them because God had mercy for us. Amen? Because God practiced mercy in our direction, we need to practice mercy toward our wives. Guys, if God were as harsh with us as some men are with their ladies, we would be a smoking pile of ashes from lightning strikes. If God were that harsh with us. I was at Walmart shopping this past week. 
And uh, I, I just try and go through and get my stuff. And, I, and of course, I always bump into some of you or other people. I, I know it's a running joke with my wife and my kids. If they happen to be waiting out in the car and it's taking me forever to get a few items, I've bumped into people that I know, you know, while, while I'm in there. And I was trying to ignore this and everything, but the, you know, and, and, and I didn't do what I wanted to do, but, but, I, but I'm hearing this conversation between a wife and her husband, and he's pushing the cart, and a couple of kids going along, and, and, and he's just kind of taking off leaving her, and he's going to a different department and, and everything, and, and he's telling her, don't go with me. Now, I, I wanted to think to begin with, maybe he's wanting to get something for Valentine's, but he was mad at her. Like he didn't want her around and he was saying it loud enough for other people to hear. No, don't you follow me. Don't you go with me. I mean, I want to walk over and punch him in a Jesus kind of way. (laughs) I mean, slap him for a minute and get his attention. It wasn't just that he was giving her harsh words. He was doing it in public for everybody else to hear. Not going to go well, guys, on Valentine's or any day. We need to be careful and not be harsh with them in in that way. You see, harshness will make your wife bitter. Mercy can make her bitter. You've got a choice. You can be harsh with her all the time and she'll be bitter about it. And she might stuff it down, but sooner or later it's going to pop out. Or you can be merciful with her and you can help mold her and make her better. And make your relationship better as husband and wife if you'll practice mercy with her. Think about some of the word studies. Don't pierce their hearts and souls with sharp words. Don't let your attitude and words be like acid or like bitterness poured out over their emotions. Don't be so rigid with your wants and desires that it's like you're nailing a stake down, putting your tent out, and you're not going to budge. That's where you are, what you want, and it doesn't matter what she thinks. Don't be that way toward your wife because it's not going to help at all with a relationship because you need to be a loving husband. You do so by loving with God types of love and mercy, God's mercy that he shared toward us. Now, here's a side message. Uh, I should have told you last week, do bring some of your children in today probably, and you would have high-fived me probably for it. But some of us guys may not like the rest of this in just a moment. But he goes on and he says, By the way, I I failed to mention this, but you need to exercise self-control. In other words, you need to accept your wife as she is and guard and measure your words against her. Don't be bitter and sharp toward her. Here's a side message. Children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. And the word obey means to hear under. It means children are to hear what we say and put themselves underneath what we say. For doing so is fully agreeable. It pleases God. Here's a novel idea that we should have learned to practice years ago, and I wish I had. Have you ever told your children to do something and they want to know why? What was your response? Because I told you to. I'm guilty of it myself. Think about this. We could say because it pleases God. Look here. I've got Bible for that because it pleases God. That's why you ought to do it. Other scriptures say because it increases your length of days on the earth. You can shorten your life by living a disobedient type of life. And it'll take you places you don't need to go in your life. 
for children. But guys, here's the part we might not like. Fathers, do not provoke your children unless they become discouraged. God, I wish I had never agreed to help coach Jared in baseball. Wished I said no. Because knew many times I got in the coach mode instead of the dad mode. And after he had struck out or did something he shouldn't do and everything like that, I'm sure he was discouraged. See, the, the, the word that's used there for discouraged means to cause them to be spiritless or disheartened. We don't need to do that to our, our kids. We, we, we don't need to, to so bombard their life that they lose passion and confidence even for living. We're not to provoke them with anger or quarrel and, and contention. That's a side message. That one's free. How is it that we can have better marriages? Well, it takes more than two. It does take a submissive wife, and it takes a loving husband. The emphasis on that word loving, but you already know where I'm going. The third person is this. It takes a living Savior if you're going to have the marriage that you need to have. Now, before I read these verses, and before anyone comes up and says, but Preacher, it didn't say wives and husbands before it said these verses. Okay, I recognize that. But just because the verses that, by the way, happen to be right before the ones I've just preached to you. So I think it is in context. (laughs) It's right before. Talking about the submissive wife and the loving husband right before these words. So I'm kind of doing it in reverse. So it's right before in context of being a submissive wife and loving husband, we need to pay attention to what these words say. And just because it doesn't say wife or husband in these verses I'm going to read don't mean that you can tear it out of your Bible and not pay attention to it. So here's the deal with that. These verses, what I'm about to read now, are written in general to Christians. And if a general way we as Christians are supposed to apply these verses to each other, how much more should a Christian husband and wife apply these verses? Amen? You understand what I'm saying? Just because it does not say, hey, husband, put this on. Hey, wife, put this on. Doesn't mean you get to ignore it in the relationship of marriage. Just because you get married doesn't mean the obligation to live your life like this goes away when it comes to your spouse. If you're to live like this with these kind of attitudes toward other believers in general, certainly you ought to live this way also toward your spouse. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. To which, indeed, to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. Next slide. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
Before I talk about those words, I've asked Lynn and Angie Crump to come up on stage today and kind of give us a testimony some about uh, how this worked out in their life, how marriage takes more than, than two. Are we on now? There you go. First of all, I want to thank you. First of all, um, I want to let you know, Pastor Lynn, that I was a little bit disappointed, to be quite honest with you, when you asked me to do the testimony, because when you asked me when you started, I said, okay, yeah, I'm going to do the testimony, because I honestly thought you wanted to do a testimony next week, which is on intimacy, but, but sorry. Ain't anyway, that right, Mama? <laughs> so, anyway, my, my daughter's here with her, hand, with her face in her hands, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who don't, uh, don't know Angie and I, this, and I found this a, just a great opportunity for us to be able to share just a little bit what's went on in our lives. In our 35 years, 35 years we've been together. I've been, I've been married 31. Yes, thank you. And math is one of my strong points. That's uh, it's pretty rough. Uh, I do want to just kind of give you a brief introduction uh, of who we are. Angie and I both grew up here in Caldwell County. Uh, we were very, very, both of us are very, very, and I get emotional every time because of our parents. We are blessed beyond measure because we were both raised by very godly parents who are, who are quite frankly, who are still alive and doing healthy today. But we're very, very blessed. So giving this testimony, we, we kind of have an unfair advantage because I know a lot of you were not, but those of you who were raised by godly parents, I know you consider yourself blessed. So we consider ourselves very, very blessed because we just had that great example. But we both grew up here in Caldwell County. Uh, both attended church most every day of our life growing up. As a matter of fact, we've done it for most of our life, period, because, again, that's how we were raised. Um, and then, <clears throat> and several years ago, we, Lynn approached me and we decided to, be a, to help Lynn and Daryl Start day three. So, just to give you a little bit of introduction of our family, because most of our family is up and grown. You can see a picture here uh, of our family, and up on top is Justin and Nikisha. That's our son. Our son is now 29, will be 30 coming up soon. Woo, is that right? Sorry, 28. Golly, I'm terrible. I've been married 31 years, I'll tell you that. <laughs> so, yeah, Justin's 29. Uh, he lives in Wilkesboro here with his wife. Uh, Brittany and Jeff are here. That's our other daughter. We have twin daughters. So, uh, you know, we're looking back. There was a time in our life when we had three children, two and under. So a very challenging time in our life. Uh, Brittany and Jeff live here. Uh, and then Bethany and Mark, Brittany's twin sister, and Mark live in, uh, live in Wilmington. So uh, we've had a lot of experiences. And then the greatest and most awesome, that I kind of shared a little bit the other week, the most awesome addition to our family has been my little grandbaby, Emma. So this has been just a great experience. In all seriousness, when Lynn asked me to come, or asked Angie and I to come up and do a testimony, uh, quite frankly, I didn't want to uh, because I don't feel like I'm worthy. Uh, you see, we have been married for 31 years. Uh, we've been married for probably 22 or three happy years. <laughs> and I say that in all sincerity because as many marriages, we had some pretty rough times. And we learned some very, very valuable lessons, I think. So in all honesty, I, I think we can share with you better maybe on what not to do 
than what to do from learning the lessons over the last 31 years. Um, when Lynn asked me, uh, oh, is it on? Can you hear me? Okay. When uh, Lynn asked us to do this, um, I was thinking, how am I even going to share it in a few minutes? Because um, if it could be a 12-week study if I really wanted to put uh, everything that I am passionate about. Um, in this, so, but I want to share a few highlights with you. Um, first, I want to um, read you a scripture of John 10.10. 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and I come that they may have life and have it in abundantly. Um, about five years into our marriage, can y'all still hear me? Okay. About five years into our marriage, I become very dissatisfied uh, with my life and with our marriage. Um, I let the thief just get in my head. Um, We were a young couple with three young kids. I was trying to go to school. Lynn was working really hard. Um, He was uh, working late at night also. Um, And we were also building a house and just build a house. Um, So life was just a little bit stressful. Um, Also going to school would also put us on a financial burden because I wasn't working. Um, and going to school and taking care of the kids, but also having to pay daycare for the kids for me to go to school. Um, My thoughts about marriage um, turned to sin uh, that manifested in the guilt of past choices that I made, Um, selfishness and the need that I wanted to be happy, Um, jealousy in the relationship that Lynn had with our kids, and anger and entrapment. I felt trapped. Um, And this wasn't a short season of our marriage. Um, This lasted for about five years. Um, We were both Christians, and we were teaching uh, in our churches. uh, And on the outside, everything looked pretty okay. Um, But on the inside... We were, I was falling apart, and in the process, our marriage was falling apart. Um, I was praying for Lynn every day um, for him to change and make me happy. I was being a good wife in that way. Um, uh, but after about five years of trying to fix my marriage and, and, uh, and fix my husband, um, I was very, very, very unhappy, uh, and I was done. And one day, I was sitting on our deck, and... Uh, crying and yelling, and uh, but I was out there by myself, except I was doing it to God, <laughs> and uh, I was telling him I was really unhappy, and I wasn't liking the way life was turning out, and, uh, and I was done, and didn't know they really loved Lynn anymore, didn't know I even wanted to be a mom anymore, um, and during my rant, um, God, I just felt him just wrap his arms around me, I'm sorry, <laughs> And um, and just say, I've got this, Angie, but you've got to let it go. Um, you've got to give me your guilt and your jealousy, your anger and your bitterness. And um, you've got to give it all to me, uh, not just part of it. Um, and that day, things started to change for me. Um, it didn't get fixed overnight by no means. It actually was probably a four-year process of... Um, me turning things over to the Lord and taking them back and turning them back over and taking them back. And, and every once in a while, even still 31 years later, I 
sometimes want to get them back. Um, but, um, but now after 31 years, our marriage is pretty much, pretty much wonderful. I love this man. <laughs> pretty much. Uh, there, there are days I don't really like him. I love him, but I don't really like him sometimes. Um, um, but now it's not just me and him working. Um, when you give things over to the Lord, um, he becomes the priority. And, um, and uh, this is not in my note, but I was telling Lynn this, this week. Um, this also got me and Lynn talking about a lot of things we really hadn't talked about. Um, but they was, um, I forgot what even I was going to say. Um, anyway, takes three. I forgot what it was going to say. Probably how great I am. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Pretty great. <laughs> um, at the end of John 10.10, 10, it does say, I have come so that they may have life and have it to its full. And placing God as the foundation of our marriage um, has changed everything and has been so, uh, we have been so blessed because of this. And I do want to reiterate something, and, and this is for, most, for you that are Christians and actively involved in church. During this whole process, during this whole time, uh, and you may, may can kind of determine what the problem was. Um, during this whole time, we were both very active in church. I was a deacon in the church. Uh, we were both teaching Sunday school. We were both holding, we were holding family devotions, but behind the curtain, it wasn't so pretty. And, and we just simply hadn't faced the fact that we haven't really had, we did not have, the relationship with God was not in our marriage. Our relationship with God was with each, each one of us individually. And this is the issue we found out. And um, that we had unconsciously broke down our time in, and compartmentalized it um, in our life. And... Um, you shouldn't comp- uh, compartment. Li- How do you say that word? Could have been compartment. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, but it should be the driving force of er- every aspect in our life. And um, during some Bible studies and stuff, um, we all- you always have several Bible studies or or even messages. I've heard the pastor or teacher of Bible study was list your priorities in your life. And as a good Christian, you always want to put God first. And then your husband and wife or, and your children and your job and your family. And you list them however way you feel like they're a priority in your life. And then the next step of the thing was put how much time you spend with each one of the things. And you know, your job, you're 8, 10 hours a day at your job. And then you come home and you are your family. You spend time with your family. And a lot of times that even puts your husband and wife behind the kids. Um, and then somewhere in there you might do 10, 15 minute devotion, uh, to God if you're filling that box. Um, and really that really just frustrated me because I thought, you know, I really do want God to be first in my life. But when you ask how much time I spend, the time doing that, then none of that computes. And, um, just one day when I was doing a Bible study, it just really hit me and I drilled this home with you. If you're in my home uh, study or life group or whatever we call them now, um, you've heard this many times because it's a pet peeve of mine. Um, God needs to be the whole concept of your life. Um, when, you, when you're at work, God needs to be at work. 
When you're with your family, God needs to be that priority with your family. When you're with your husband, God needs to be that priority with your husband. Um, And so he can't be compartmentalized. He's got to be the whole thing. And and so it's not that 10-minute devotion or hour devotion or even the devotion all if you spend. It's what you spend your life doing. You know, and once we got this figured out, uh, and I can't tell you a, a slice in time or a specific event that caused that. I, I can tell you that Angie's uh, event out on the, on the deck, and I can tell you uh, where it happened to me was in the balcony of Mount Zion during a worship service, and it was actually uh, my mother-in-law, of all people, who talked to me and just kind of revealed to me then that I had to turn this over to God. So once we figured this out, that, you know, God, it's not a relationship, me having my relationship with God, Angie having her relationship with God, it's actually God being in every aspect of our life. God being when we wake up, when we're together, every aspect of our life. And, and just some examples of how it's revolutionized, I think, our marriage and our relationship. You know, Angie gets up in the morning, she's a physical therapy assistant, she goes sees her patients, she, she ministers to their physical needs. But when I hear her come home and I hear her, not talking about her, there's HIPAA laws out there, she doesn't share any of that, but her talking about her day, her day consists of her ministering to those people because she is there as God's uh, servant, serving not only their physical needs, but their spiritual needs. And in our home, um, Lynn, as we raised our three children, um, made it very clear and the preacher was talking about a submissive wife, and it was easy to be submissive when you know that your husband loves you. I knew that this man had my back no matter what, um, and I know he still does. But any time that um, the kids back-talked me or uh, anything, he was very, very quick to tell them, you don't talk to my wife that way. Um, it wasn't, you don't talk to your mom that way. It was, you don't talk to my wife that way. Um, and they very much knew where they stood in our family that... that um, if it, if it came down to agreeing with them or me, he was going to back me. Um, and that was very important and very, made it very easy for me to be able to submit to a man that I knew had my back. Um, the other thing is in Lynn's work. I, I hear him tell, I, he works at home a lot, and um, I hear him talk to his uh, salespeople, and, and, um, and I've heard him say it's, and, you know, faith family, and then your job, don't ever put that, um, make, mess that up. And he is a living example of that, too, and so I appreciate that, too. <clears throat> and, and I'm not, I feel like we're, I promise you we're not bragging, we're just trying to give examples of how this concept revolutionized our marriage. The other, and to me it's the, the primary aspect of it, my nature, my inner being is not a, a very giving person. My inner being, if you guys know me, I, I, it's all about me and it's all about play. <laughs> whatever I can do to get toys, whatever I can do to be outside, uh, whatever I can do to, to do anything with activity, that's me. That's my inner being. Uh, that's not my wife's inner being. My wife is, uh, although she, we, we enjoy playing and we do a lot together, her, her inner being is to give and to help. And it was honestly, that was part of, and frankly, still part of my struggle. And without God, it would be a major struggle. We've just been very, very blessed 
and have opportunities to open up our home. And by the way, if I haven't told you, we're very blessed to have a home on the lake, and you guys are welcome there anytime. And trust me, you just need to call and let me know because chances are there will be somebody else there. We're just very, very blessed that we've had opportunities to share with students and share with people. And I can't tell you that sounds sacrificial, but I promise you it has been a blessing beyond measure just for the opportunity to be able to open up our home to godly people. You see, once we got that figured out, that it, it, does, it, it takes more than two. It, it does take three. But that third person, that being Christ, is, is in every aspect of your marriage. You can't compartmentalize. You, can't, you have a relationship and your, hus- and your husband or wife have a relationship. It's that God is the center in every aspect of your life. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I might put you on the spot next week. You understand what he's saying about, about them talking about compartmentalizing things and putting them in, in places. Uh, I've said before, you know, it's, it's God first and, and, and then your family and then, uh, you know, and, and then church. And, uh, you know, a lot of people get surprised by saying church on, on, on down the road uh, and everything. But anytime you hear that lingo, it doesn't mean that you're putting God uh, in a separate box, your family in a separate box, your job in a separate box, your church in a separate box. He has to invade all those things. Uh, and, and that's the point of what they, uh, that they were making. I appreciate them being transparent. You know, it's difficult to get up and talk about your, your bad times uh, uh, and, and good times uh, also. A lot of times it's difficult to talk about those. Let's talk about a living Savior uh, just for a moment. And there's three things I want you to see that we ought to dress ourselves in uh, <clears throat> before we close the message. And uh, when uh, Paul uses a phrase here to put on, it's literally language like you're, you're sinking into a garment is what the word means. He tells us to put on some things. Things in this passage of scripture. First of all, put on correct attitudes. Put on correct attitudes. And we don't have time to uh, discuss all the attitudes that he mentions here in detail. But he says, put on then as God chosen one. In other words, because you know Christ is your Savior, you've been chosen uh, by him. From God's perspective, you're holy and you're beloved. So because of that, because God's chosen you, you need to live like this. You need to have these kinds of attitudes uh, toward other believers, but especially toward your spouse. And what he tells us here is that we need to have the, uh, the attitudes of, uh, uh, of compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, uh, bearing with one another. If someone thinks they've got a complaint against the other and forgiven uh, each other, as the Lord's forgiven you, you need to remember that, how God's forgiven you, so you must all, uh, also forgive them. So because the, the living Savior has changed our lives, it ought to affect the way we live toward others. And that includes your spouse. That includes your husband, that includes your wife, whichever the case might be. He said we need to have compassion. I'm going to walk through a couple of these words, not all of them. Compassion, and sometimes if you read a, you know, older translation, uh, like 1611 or whatever, uh, and you might see phrases like, uh, you know, bowels of mercy. Uh, guys, I, I know it's Valentine's, but I don't know how much you're going to impress your, uh, your, your wife or vice versa. If you say, well, here's what I have for you today, uh, my bowels are yearning for you. 
Okay, but, but, but that's a, you know, that, that's a biblical phrase. And the, and the reason they used that phrase was they thought of the, the midsection, uh, being like the center of your life instead of the heart. That's the way the Hebrews thought of things. So it, it's just talking about allowing, uh, that compassion, that type of sympathy or, or, or mercy coming forth from the midst uh, of your heart and who you are. We're to have kindness. And by the way, that means usefulness. So, you know, it's one thing just to think you're being kind, but are you being kind in a way that's useful to somebody else? else that's useful in in character or demeanor Uh, we need to have humility uh, modesty humility humiliation toward other people we need to have meekness or mildness toward others we need to be patient and the word means forbearance or fortitude uh, long-suffering, having a long temper instead of a short temper. Bearing with one another means literally to hold oneself up against someone else. And that can be difficult sometimes. Now, you've heard me joke about it before. You know, there's people in your life that's kind of like that person, and you're shopping at Walmart, and you see that person five or six rows over, and you don't wave and say, hey, how are you doing? You go the other way and hide, don't you? Huh? Instead of having that type of attitude, he's saying we need to be willing to, to be engaged with other people, to put ourselves up uh, against others, their, their, their life. Uh, and, and, and he says there that we, uh, uh, instead of holding, and that means literally the whole like of possession, instead of thinking you've got a right to hold on to a complaint, that you've got a right to hold on to something that someone's done, some blame, some fault uh, against someone else. Instead of doing that, Paul says we ought to be forgiving each other, and that means to freely grant as a favor, gratuitously. The same, the root word means grace. We're to forgive other people as a favor. We're to forgive other people like God forgave us with His grace. As the Lord has forgiven you, also you must forgive. If God's given grace to you, you need to give grace toward others, especially the person you're married to. You need to be willing to give grace toward them. Having a relationship with Jesus and having Jesus Christ in your relationship, including husbands and wives, enables and empowers us to practice those attitudes. Secondly, you don't need just to put on correct attitudes. You need to put on Christ's love. Because in verse 14 through 17, he said, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace, which is kind of like a byproduct of having the love of God active in your lives, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. So as Christians, we ought to dress ourselves in the love of Jesus, the kind of love that he had toward us, that type of benevolent love, that, that chosen love, in all things, above all things, because that kind of love, God's love, binds everything together. And the word that's used there is the same word that talks about a ligament that, that holds our bodies together. God's love practiced and flowing through our lives with other Christians, but especially once again, because we're talking about the relationship of husband and wife today, including the relationship of a husband and wife. If you're practicing God's love toward each other, that's like a binding thing in the marriage relationship. It's like a glue that keeps things together, that that holds everything together and binds it together in, in peace. And peace means to be joined together, to have that kind of attitude that we're joined together with other believers. We're practicing the love of Christ so we can experience the peace of Christ and allow that peace to rule, to have authority in our lives. You see, as Christians, we're part of the body of Christ. And that love binds us together. Literally, though, the Bible says, husbands and wives have joined together as one. 
We're told that several times in the Bible. Genesis 2.24, Matthew 19.5, Ephesians 3.21. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. You've been joined together before God as though you're one person. You need to treat each other in the same way. Is that whatever you do to that other person will affect you? Because it does. When you're in that type of relationship. And he said, be thankful because of what God's done for you. And be thankful that you can practice those types of attitudes and that type of love toward others. Thirdly, we need to put on God's word. We need to put on God's word. He said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed. That kind of goes along with what Lynn and Angie's testimony is. Whatever you do, whether it be your marriage or your job or whatever it is, whatever you do. In word or deed, do everything in the name. And when we read that in the Bible, what does that mean, do everything in the name of? It doesn't mean you're calling his name. It means the very character of Jesus. That you're to do everything in the character of Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God. Let, let God's word inhabit you in a fixed position is what that word means. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Let that inhabit your life, his divine word, his divine expression. In a fixed position, let God's word dwell in you. And sometimes we have to use God's word to admonish each other. That might not be fun sometimes. But I've had my wife admonish me when she needed to. You know, and you might have had the same thing happen. Or you've had your husband admonish you when they needed to. Or we admonish each other as believers when we need to. Not that we want to hurt each other or hate each other. But that we're admonishing them with what the truth of God's word has to say. And it means to admonish Gently to put in caution or reprove gently in a fixed position of God's wisdom or the character that Jesus is. You ever heard the phrase, all dressed up and nowhere to go? Heard that phrase before? We shouldn't ever use that as Christians. Because as Christians, I just gave you several things that we ought to be dressed up with. And we ought to be going with it. We ought to use it in our lives. We ought to be dressed up with the correct attitudes. We ought to be dressed up with the love of Christ. We ought to be dressed up by putting God's word on. And we have somewhere to go. In other words, we're to carry those things in our lives as we live our lives out in the world with other believers. And especially in the home and marriage, we need to carry those things. We need to be dressed in those things. It takes more than two. It takes a... Submissive wife, a loving husband, and a living Savior. So, today being Valentine's Day, I want the invitation to kind of expand into being something a little bit different than maybe it is a lot of times. It being Valentine's Day, I want to encourage husbands and wives as we start the invitation in just a moment. I want to encourage you to take each other by the hand. And find a place to come and pray. If you can't fit in up here, go to the back wall. Go to a side wall. And pull off to the side and pray. And say, God, help us to be those things. Help us to always be aware that it takes more than just us as husband and wife for this marriage to be successful. 
Pray about being a submissive wife and a loving husband. Pray about the living Savior inhabiting everything that's in your life. She can have the marriage that you need to have. Come and pray about those things. And as I said earlier, I recognize some of you have been through maybe some devastating marriages, some hurtful situations. But as I said at the outset of the message, you ought to understand better than anybody why it takes more than two. And I want to encourage you to pray during this time also. Number one, pray for yourself because God may bring you to a new marriage and a new relationship one day. Don't mess that one up, you know. Ask God to help you live out these things so it'll be the marriage that it should be. So God may bring you to that. And if there's a potential that he may bring you to that, pray and say, God, help it to be what it needs to be. Help it to be the marriage you want it to be. If you bring about another marriage relationship in my life. If you don't think that's in the realm of possibility, it is in the realm of possibility for other people. So you, from your past experience, know better than anybody else how to pray for people who are in hurting relationships, for people who are struggling in marriages, or for people that might one day be married. So if you can't do anything else, you can pray for others during this time. Some of you might be thinking, hey, that don't apply to me. I'm never going to get married. Yep, that's what you think. You might need to be praying during this time of invitation that you remember to apply these things. At a point in time, God brings you to that opportunity of being married. Some of you are already engaged. You need to be praying about these things together and asking God to help you have the marriage that you want to have. I understand that the marriage today was more to believers, married believers, married people than anything else because that was where God had me. At the same time, I think Valentine's Day is a really good day to trust Christ as your Savior because God gave you the ultimate Valentine of all time when he nailed his son on the cross. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, why not consider coming into a special marriage union with him? Become part of his bride. Let him be your bridegroom and trust him by faith today and have your sins forgiven and know you're on your way to heaven. Let's stand. Father, I pray you, you take our, God, our little study today and wake us up with it and help us to see your design, your picture of what marriage ought to be. Father, I pray you help couples right now to make commitments that they want you to be the driving force in their relationship, that they are willing to be submissive to you, Father, whether it be the husband or the wife, and ask you to guide them and lead them and protect them. And, and Lord, build a relationship with the correct attitudes and with your love and everything that needs to be embodied in marriage as you've planned it. Father, help them to pray and ask you to make that a reality in their marriage. Father, I pray for those who are engaged or those who are considering that, that you would bless them, that you would help them to enter into the marriage to start with, realizing that you have to invade all areas of their life. Understand it takes more than two people to make a marriage. Father, someone that may not know Christ, help them to see your grand invitation right now. 
your grand communication and display of love that you put your son on a cross for them that by faith in him they can have everlasting life give them the boldness they need to admit right now that they're a sinner they can't fix themselves give them the faith they need to trust in Jesus help our marriages to honor you for some Christ's name I pray Amen Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church We pray that it has ministered to you For more information about our location service times or other sermon podcasts please visit us online at day3church.org Day 3 Church Experience a new day in your life.